Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. While we're receiving the offering, video's queued up for you here. This came out some time ago, but many of you will probably recognize it. Comedy team got together many decades ago and decided to tell us about a baseball team with some peculiar names of people who played on the bases there. And it's kind of the hilarity that ensues as they try to figure out, one person is trying to figure out what the names are of the people on the baseball team. So here you go for your enjoyment, a section from Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. You know, strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names? Nicknames, pet not, names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funnier than that? Oh, absolutely. Whee! Yes. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the fellas' names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas' name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Then who's playing first? Absolutely. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Why shouldn't he? Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. After all, the man earns it. Who does? Absolutely. Well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no, no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Well, don't change the players. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy. What's the guy's name on first base? What's the guy's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. (laughs) All right, if you've never seen that before and you still haven't figured out who's on first, just go watch the whole thing. Eventually it'll click. That is how confused we can get over a simple, uh, simple matters. I wanted to start with that because I wanted to take kind of the question that they're asking there, and change it a little bit, and make it a question that we can ask ourselves today. It's a simple question, and hopefully we won't get too confused by the answer. So the question I want to ask, similar to that, is this. Who is first? Who is first? We've been in the series we started last week called This is the Gospel, and we've been looking at what the gospel message is. Gospel, again, means good news. And what God has in the gospel message is good news to a world who is seeking, and all of us are, seeking the most fundamental questions of life. So we're all trying to basically answer the questions. How did I get here? What is my purpose in, in living? How should I be living? And where am I going? These are the fundamental questions of how we view our world. 
And the gospel or the good news from God is God's answer to the questions for every human soul. We've been looking at that, and we started last week with a a very clear picture of where the gospel starts. It's funny how many times we start our understanding of the good news of God a little bit, a couple of steps uh, after the beginning. And the risk of that is that we can tend to think that the message is all about us, and we're missing something vital. And so last week, we began it where it starts in the uh, scripture that we're going to be looking at in Colossians 1. And we looked at the idea that the gospel begins, the good news of God begins with understanding who God is. It begins with understanding that he is Lord, that's Jesus, is Lord. That means God, that means Lord, ruler, king, or in other words, he's our creator. That's what we're told there, and we saw that last week. He's he's the only one who is dependent on nothing. He is completely independent. And yet we, everyone, all of us, everything is dependent on him. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize his rightful place as Lord because, again, the questions of life begin with an understanding of who God is. The more we understand who God is, the more we understand who we are. just stands to reason. And so we began with that that basic point, he is Lord. That's where the gospel begins. And then there's another statement that comes in and that we're going to look at this week. And we're going back to Colossians 1 again. It starts, and we're just going to look to begin with here, at the very first verse, where we're told the gospel begins with this. So the Son, that's Jesus. Remember, he's Jesus. He's Christ. He's Messiah. He's Lord. These are all titles that apply to him, but this is Jesus who came to to this world to answer the questions of our lives. The, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, that's an interesting word that we get hit with right out of the chute firstborn. He's the firstborn over all creation. Now, now what does that mean? I know what it tends to evoke in my mind. First place my mind goes. 17 years ago, um, actually, no, I'm, 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 I can tell I'm uh, losing track of time already. I'm, 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 it's been 19 years now. 19, okay. I'm going to pretend I didn't say that. Uh, six years ago, we had our first kid. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe it. 19 years ago, my wife and I were eagerly anticipating our firstborn child. And, you know, I mean, we were both working hard at it. She squeezed my hand. It really hurt. <laughs> Thank you for the sympathy. I appreciate that. She was working hard at it, and I was waiting. But we were both anticipating our firstborn. And when he came, I... I and every parent who's gone through this, whether, even, whether you've had a child, whether you've adopted a child, something about this moment, you know what I'm about to say. The whole world has changed. I mean, the, the focus of this one, the, the, the endearment, the affection, the love, everything that I felt in that moment, it's hard to even, even describe as I look down at that little face. That was our, our firstborn son. And there's a sense in which that is captured here. That, that Jesus being the one whom the Father sent uniquely into the world, again, he's the son, he is the firstborn son in that way. But it would be a mistake to understand that what the writer means here is that he was the first created thing, or the first created being. That's a mistake. And there's one particular uh, biblical writer that says, the use of this word, firstborn, does not show what was argued many centuries ago by a man named Arius. It rose to an idea called Arianism. It does not show that Christ was regarded as a creature as all the rest of creation. And we kind of saw that last week. I think we made the point pretty well. That is not who he is. 
So what does this word mean, really? What, what is the writer trying to capture? It captures the idea more, it has a few different senses, but you're going to see that it captures the idea more of him being first in rank. So think of a general over an army. He's first in rank. There's no one higher. In fact, we see the usage of this word in another place, in Psalm 89. The writer's talking about King David, a king at the time whom God set apart and anointed. He wasn't the firstborn in his family. He was actually the lastborn. But because God anointed him and set him in a special place as the king over the nation, he, God says of him, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. You see? The idea of firstborn had to do with him being the most exalted, the first in rank above even every other king. That's the idea of the word. In fact, this word, firstborn, interestingly, was a word that kind of the ancient rabbis who, who wrote about God, when they talked about the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God who has created all, the one we've been talking about, who revealed himself in this gospel, they said they called Yahweh himself the firstborn of the world. Now, that doesn't mean he was the first one created in the world. It meant he was the one who was first in rank over the whole world. He created the world. He set it into motion. So he was in that prominent position over the world, the firstborn. So when we hear this word, I want to draw out a few different senses of, of, of what it carries. This word is rooted in the word of being first, first. And that word first in the language that God originally gave it to us, it has the meaning of a few things. It can be first in time. So you think of the first time that something occurs. It can also mean the first in a succession of things or like the first of a pattern. It creates the pattern for which others come and are patterned after it. And it also means first in rank or influence or honor, the chief of all. And so all of these are kind of captured in this idea. So you think about first in time. When I think of something like that, I, I think of things like, take Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin was an English chemist, and she was arguably the first to discover human DNA. So she was the first in time to do that. Well, Jesus is a first in that sense, too. Because in Colossians 1, we see just a few verses after what we just read. It says, he is the head of the body, the church, it's his church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first one ever to raise from the dead. Not, never happened before. Not in the sense of one who would raise and stay alive and be glorified and never die again. We're going to talk more about that next week. But he was the first one in time to do that in that sense. And that actually leads to the second sense, doesn't it? Because the second sense of being first is when you're first in a pattern of ones to come. Um, who was the first person to fly? So they were first in time, but they also set a pattern. Who was the first to ever fly? Think about that. I'm talking in, not in Jesus' sense. He took off pretty good. But we're talking about, we're talking about many, many centuries later after he ascended to the Father. We're talking about the Wright brothers, you might be thinking, are the first who ever flew. Now, they, did, they were the first that ever flew in a plane that had wings and kind of designed much more modern like we were. First person to ever fly, actually, interestingly, was Henry Gifford. He created a steam-powered airship 51 years prior to the Wright brothers and was the first one to take off. And then, of course, the moment he did that, he set a pattern for human flight that was followed by the Wright brothers and, of course, every other, uh, you know... Uh, organization beyond that. Is Northwest still around? I don't even know they're gone, aren't they? Yeah. There's many others, right, that do this. 
And so you have this first in time and this first in pattern. And look at uh, Romans 8, because Jesus was the first in a pattern as well. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. You see, the ones whom God knew, he, he was first. He, he was the one choosing. We're the ones responding. He's not second. We're second. He's first in calling the action. But he, he knew us. He chose us. Those who would receive this good news, receive the gospel, respond to his offer of relationship and salvation. He says he chose us to do what? To become like his son, to become like Jesus, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, that pattern of the one who was risen, who was glorified, who defeated sin and death and hell and the grave, he was the first of a pattern of many who would follow, all those who would put their faith in him. Again, more on that next week. So Jesus is a first in time. He's the first in a pattern of, of humanity remade. And then finally, of course, he's first in rank. When you hear that, this idea of being first in rank, like I said, you think of like a general, or you might even think of the idea, and I like this illustration, that the sun, not S-O-N, but S-U-N now, the sun is the first in the solar system. Everything revolves around it, right? There was a time when we were a bit confused about that, but people eventually figured out. Everything revolves around the sun. It doesn't revolve around the planets. They revolve around it. And if you take the sun and you pull it out of the mix, everything spirals off into chaos. Order is only kept when the sun is first. It's central. And Jesus is first in that sense too. Hebrews 1 verse 6 tells us, Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, that's the father bringing the son into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You see, he's not a creature. He's God who came to the world. And even the angels rotate around him. He is the son in the center. And everything is meant to orbit around him. He's first. And that last one is really the meeting I want to dwell on. For today, because I think it leads us to this question who's first? Colossians 1, if you look at it in another translation, I think it captures this idea of firstborn even better, and we can really understand what we're being told is the beginning of the gospel here. So it says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. We've already seen that. He existed before anything was created and is supreme, firstborn, supreme over all creation. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of his church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme, firstborn, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. So he is first in everything. So he is first in everything. That's a big statement. Who is first? Is he first in everything? I can tell you this, that when it comes to his creation, there is nothing that is ever going to find itself in rank above him. It will not happen, no matter what it thinks. It's going to continue to orbit around the sun, whether it realizes it or not. In fact, when you look at who he is as the center of it all, we have these words that we sometimes say in circles, the three omnis. Jesus is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. 
Now, what does that mean? Job 42, too. You know, some people think when they hear all-powerful, they, they, they think that it means that, you know, they actually confuse the issue. And they say, hold on a minute. I'll kind of throw a little tongue, little brain twister out there. They'll say, so can God create, ever hear this one? Can God create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? Did you ever hear that before? It, it's kind of meant to confuse the issue because it's like, you know, if he, can, if he can't create a rock that heavy, then he's not all-powerful. But if he can create a rock so heavy he can't lift it, then he can't lift the rock, so he's not all-powerful. Either way, it seems like God doesn't make much sense. He, he can't exist because he couldn't be all-powerful. That's misunderstanding the issue. When we say God is all-powerful, what we're talking about is that there is nothing that he is not in control of. There is nothing that is outside of his sovereignty. So look at what Job tells us. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah 32 says, Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So we're not talking about these little brain twisters, which have no meaning to them and almost be like, you know, blue is the flavor of anger. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. I can say it, but it doesn't mean anything. Saying God can create something he can't lift, that's meaningless. God can do anything within respect to what he has created. Nothing is too hard for him. He's all-powerful. And he's all-knowing. He knows the end from the beginning, we're told. Isaiah 46 tells us, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. God knows what happened yesterday. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Does it mean he made it happen? No. We still have will and we make choices and we do things, but nothing's going to catch God by surprise. And this is hard because when we think of God being all-powerful and we think of God knowing all things, we, we sometimes wonder why do things happen that it seems like he could deal with and he just hasn't dealt with. He's silent on the issue. Well, let me answer that for you. I don't know. We don't have all the answers. We're not God. He's not really obligated to give them all to us. But some people have, again, confused the issue and said, well, you know, maybe God didn't know what was coming and that's why bad things happen. That's a mistake. That's not what the scripture tells us. And going there is going to lead us to places of despair and darkness and confusion, and not to places of light and truth that he means for us. He knows the end from the beginning. Does he always reveal those ends? No, he does not. He's not obligated to. But that precisely gives us an opportunity to do something which is called trust. And that's not always easy for us to do. But precisely sometimes we're in the midst of the moments when we don't know the answers is when our relationship to this one whom everything orbits around can get the strongest. There's a writing that says, God, I know you care for me, but are you near? God, I know you'll carry me, but are you here? God, I know you're just, but will you act? God, I know you're merciful, but are you so on my behalf? God, I know you'll meet me, but will you stay? God, I know you see me, but will you love me anyway? God, I know I don't know all the answers, but I'll hold on tight to you, though. That's what it means to trust. We can trust God precisely We can trust Jesus precisely because he's all-powerful. He put it all together. Precisely because he knows the end from the beginning and he knows how best to make it all work out, even when we don't understand. And we can trust him precisely because he is present everywhere. He's in relationship with all of his creation. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, it means like take take the Wright brothers' flight and zip off to the dawn, to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
far sides of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God is always present and always caring about where we're at. So when we don't understand things, rather than running away, maybe it makes sense to run to him. Maybe that's what we should do. Because he's first in rank of power, of, 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 of knowledge and understanding, of being present everywhere. He's available to us. And he's orchestrating it all together. I'm a violinist. I played in orchestras for many years. I don't know if uh, nowadays concerts, people see different types and flavors of concerts, but if you've ever seen a classical music concert, there's something interesting that happens at the beginning. You, you show up and the whole orchestra's there and everyone's playing their instruments all in different ways and you're hearing just a bunch of noise. It's just, it's just chaos. Nothing's fitting together, nothing's working because everybody's off doing their own thing. And then all of a sudden... At one moment, at the beginning of the concert, everything, everything quiets down, and then you hear applause. Like, what are they applauding for? There's been nothing but noise. Didn't seem too interesting to me. Well, if you've been to a concert like this, you know why. They're applauding because right then in that moment, somebody's going to walk in and take the stage in front of the whole orchestra and then begin waving that funny stick, and everything is going to come together in perfect unison. The conductor orchestrates it all. He brings it all together. And without him, you pull him out of the mix, all you're going to end up with is noise. All you're going to end up with is, is discordance. None of it's going to fit. It's all going to fall apart. There's a saying that says, there's all these noisy parts we play, the horns we blare and drums we shake, the strings, the woodwinds, brass and all, but who conducts this orchestra? If God isn't in his place as first to lead, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be noise. All of us, even whether individual or even together, we're not going to make a very good orchestra if we don't give him first place. Another way I kind of like to look at this, and it's really the main thing I want to leave you with today. When we think of Jesus being first, being first in rank, he is Lord, he is first. Really, that first in rank has to do in regards to ownership. So think in terms of ownership. Anybody ever hear the phrase, finders, keepers? Ever hear that phrase? Okay. I, I seem to hear it every time one of my kids grabs one of my iPhone charging cables. Because I never have any cables anymore. Finders, keepers is this idea that, you know, if you find something, somebody's left it behind or simply walked away from it, you find it, now you are the rightful owner because you found it. And so it's yours. And, you know... I don't know if you've ever wondered, legally, is that really true? I mean, can you do that? Does that apply? Well, legally, it's not, really. There is some claim to ownership of things that you find in your possession, but not in a wholesale sense like this. In fact, there was one site that was talking about a law site that's, that's talking about the basic property law and stuff like that, and it said things like this. Now, listen to this. A, a finder doesn't have the best right to property. Only the true owner does. They do have a right to keep it against anyone else except the rightful owner. Another thing they said is you have rights to property as long as you try to find the true owner because your rights aren't as good as the true owner's in most circumstances. Another thing is generally you have the right to everything attached to or you know, in your property unless someone has a better title. So you think about this. We, we find ourselves in possession of our minds, our bodies, our lives, our choices, 
And we operate every day as though these things are wholly ours. Now, I believe that we have rights, of course. We have certain levels of autonomy, certain levels of independence, certain rights to property, naturally. We were put here by the one who put us here to have those rights. But the question is, who is the true owner of my body, my mind, my soul, my decisions? Who has the better title and better claim? And have I tried to find him on those issues? Do I seek him for what he would have to say on those things? Because I, I would submit to you that this is increasingly becoming more and more of a pattern in our world. And maybe whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, you may find this is a pattern increasingly in your life where we make decisions based on an incomplete picture. We're not even trying sometimes to answer those four questions. Why am I here? Who put me here? What is his purpose? How should I live according to him? And where ultimately is he taking me? Where am I going? And how is that influenced by what I choose? We just kind of ignore those questions and we move on and we live our lives as if it's all ours to decide. We're the owner of it all. And we, in doing so, we're taking that sun and we're just wrenching it out and we're expecting everything to stay into orbit and not fly off into chaos. You simply cannot have life in order if you don't understand who is first. It, it can't work. Whether or not you think it's working, it's not going to work. Now, it'd be completely easy to stop right there and say, who is first? And we all say, Jesus is first. And I say, great, we got it figured out. Go home, have a great day, right? But I can't do that. I'm under too much conviction. I can't do it. I can't leave it there. And so I want to ask us a few questions in the remaining time that we have. Who is first in regard to your mornings? When you wake up in the morning, Who's first? Isaiah 26 says, My soul wants to be with you at night, and my spirit wants to be with you at the dawn of every day. Who do we prioritize at the beginning, the first moment of our days, and the last? Who bookends our life? Who keeps it all in orbit? Do we recognize that? Is that a place in our lives? Is he first in regards to our words? what we say. If you're posting things online, is that different, what you would post to somebody there, than what you might say to a group here, say after service? Do you view the people that you'd see here in a different way somehow, a different filter, a different light, and would treat them differently? Somehow they're human here, but online, they're just something to bash. How do we view it? How do we view the use of our words? Who is first in the choices of the, the words we use and the things we say? Matthew 12, Jesus said, I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So says the one who is first. Is he first in regards to our money? You know, there's a common... The gospel message is probably one of the most un misunderstood messages out there. 
it gets respun in many different ways. I'm going to show you just three in a few minutes, and this is the first one. There's an idea out there that if you follow Jesus, really it's not about Jesus being the end of it all and the focus of it all. Jesus is more the means to the end. And so if you follow Jesus and you have faith and you, you, know, then, and you pray the right way or you say the right things, then he is going to bless you with wealth and he's going to bless you with cars and he's going to bless you with health and he's going to bless you by making you first at, at work. And it's all about you being first. If you, if you just you know, figure out how to use him. That's not the gospel. The gospel is he is Lord and he is first. And he doesn't have to give us any of those things. What he gives us is a blessing. What he chooses not to, we live with because blessing and and calamity come from the Lord, challenges come, we accept these things. He is first. And so this health and wealth gospel idea has no basis in Scripture. We don't see that Jesus and his early followers got rich for what they did. That wasn't the goal. And so is that our goal? We, they, somehow these people who teach this stuff, they, they, they avoid places like 1 Timothy chapter 5 that talks about how dangerous and a snare it is to fall into the idea that God's is a mean, means to financial gain, that Jesus is a means to that. Instead, we should be focusing on pursuing him with contentment. That's true gain. But somehow they forget that passage. You see? Are we getting caught up with ideas like that? Well, maybe you're like me and you're not caught up with that and it ain't working too well in your life anyway, so you gave it up. There's no BMWs in the driveway, all right? If that's the case, I don't think we get out of jail so easy, though, on this. Because is he first with regards to, say, our taxes? And so says the one who is first. He said, give to Caesars what is Caesars. He means give, give to the government what it's due. Now, look, I don't like an increase in taxes. I don't like an increase in anything, and it's all increasing right now. I'm probably just like you in that. But that doesn't change the fact that we're told to respect the authorities and so what are we doing in regards to that? Who's first when we're making those decisions? Or are we cutting corners and doing things that we shouldn't do? How about in the first fruits of our, of our increase? First fruits is the very first thing that God brings into our life and our increase. What are we doing with that? Proverbs 3 says, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Is God taking first place in that in our lives? Or is he second? Is he getting leftovers? Or is he an afterthought? Where is he at? with how we approach him with that. Jesus summarized this because he knew there would be no greater litmus test of our hearts in terms of who is first in our lives than our, our money and our financial resources. Because at the end of the day, those things challenge and tempt us to think that they are the answer to the, to, to the life's questions, that those material things can answer it for us. But they're all passing away, he told us. And so it's a challenge that we take, they, they, they tempt us to take our focus off of God who is first and begin to look at those things as if they're our security. And so Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. They can't both be first. So we have to decide which one is ruling our lives, however that hits us. If you're part of the church, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is he first in regards to your devotion? Colossians 1, the text we're looking at, the gospel says, the son made things we can see and the things we can't see. Now look at what he lists. Interesting that he lists these. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities. He's talking about all those things that hold those first rank positions of authority over others. And he's saying he's above all those. He created all those. And then he says, and guess what else he's over? He's over his body, the church. And so the question is, if we're going to be his church, who is first in terms of who we're devoted to? Do we put him second? 
to political figures and political movements? Do we begin to put others second who are made in his image because of our alignment with those things? And so again, they're either human beings or the things to bash, depending on where they fall. There's a, you know, a, 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 a deception that's been out there for a while that people start to, to, to think that following God equates with following a certain political view. Never make that mistake. There is one who is first. There is one who is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is first. There are no equals. It doesn't matter what colors they wear or things they say. There are no equals. So we don't want to make that mistake of, calling, of creating what we'd call maybe a nationalistic gospel. And I, I love our country, don't get me wrong. I love the freedoms that God has given us and so many blessings he's given us, but you never equate those two. Or a social gospel, where we begin to change the message from the gospel we're seeing that's all about God to the gospel in which God can serve our cause. And so you see that many times. I just heard a teacher the other day, he's a modern teacher, who was talking, using a, 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 an actual story, an encounter that Jesus encountered a person in the Bible, and completely spun the story, completely took it out of the context it was meant, in order to make it say basically this. This was in their words, basically. They said that the person spoke truth to power because Jesus was wrong on that social issue. So the person spoke truth to power to Jesus, and he repented and changed. That's what happens when, when God goes from first in our lives to last as we start to make other issues more important than him. We start putting him second on those things. We never want to do that. Is he first in our bodies, in our minds, what we think, what we even put into our bodies, our physical health, our mental health? We don't want to throw those things aside. This is, this is God made this. This is his temple, he says in his scripture. What are we doing with this? Do we respect his purpose in those things? Jeremiah chapter 1 says, Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew about you. You were my plan. You were part of my design. I decided to put you there and move you through all the stages of life. Are all those stages of life sacred to us? If not, the question is, who is first? We have to ask ourselves these questions. Is our future... Is he first when it comes to trusting him with that future? Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't worry and say what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your Father in heaven knows you need them. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants and your other needs will be met. Now, I know this is hard. That 19-year-old boy when he was two and a half, we got the diagnosis of his autism. His life changed, our lives changed. We knew he would not ever be able to be independent in the way we could. And I just heard another father, just the other day, who also has a child with autism, who asked a question that I can totally identify with. He said, one of the things I struggle with a lot when I hand things over to God is what's going to happen to his future when me and his mother aren't around anymore. I get that. I understand that concern. But I guarantee you, if that's not your concern, you have something. Something in which you wonder about the future and you're worried about it and you're concerned. And, and, and God understands these things. I'm not saying that he's up there just waiting to zing us whenever we are concerned or confused or maybe even a little afraid. But what he is saying is at the end of the day, we have to decide who is first over our future. 
Because if we don't get that right, we're going to spiral out of control every day. But if we get it right, we can turn back to him. And we can say, God, I know I don't know all the answers, but I'll hold on tight to you, though. That's what it means to trust. We can do that, and we can find peace. I could keep going. So if you got another three hours, I'll do that. Now, we're going to wrap it up, but I, I would say this. I, I can summarize it, though. I can keep it going in one thing. I'll summarize it with this. Jesus said in Matthew 22, he gave us what he said was the first and greatest commandment. It all summarizes in this, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus was saying, once you know he is Lord, this is how you put him first. And I got to tell you, when I read that, it proves me to be a lawbreaker. I have not succeeded in that. I can't tell you the number of times I haven't put God first in my life. Maybe you can identify with that. And that, to me, leads to the most amazing part of how he's first. Because he knew that. He knew that about me. He knew that about you. And because he knew we would not be able to succeed in that because of that fallen nature that we, we have that leads us away from him. The one who is first, you know what he decided to do? Become last. We saw this verse last week. Zechariah chapter 12. When we were told that when Jesus came, he would do this. He would say, they would look on at me. The one they've pierced. The one on that cross. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The firstborn the one who was supreme in time, supreme in pattern, supreme in rank, first in all of those things, became last on that cross as he took that sin on his shoulders, all of our sins, so we could have the opportunity to be first. Now that just blows me away. Because Jesus understood something critical and vital and essential to the heart of God. And he said it when he said that I didn't come to serve or to, to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. God and the heart of God is to seek others first. That's why he's first. And that's why we don't get it. We can't get it. He can help us get it. That's the beginning of the gospel. And if you've been tracking this and you know the answer now to the question who is first, or at least the answer that should be there, then maybe this is a moment for you to sort of a, a prayer of your heart to God. Because I think there's three people in here right now. I really do. I think there are those who say, I know exactly what you're saying and I want him to be first. I just don't always succeed at that. This is the time to pray that. Or you might be in here saying, I, I haven't known that in my life, but I'm listening. This is a good time to reflect on these words. Or you might even be one that says, you know what? He hasn't been first in my life, and I'm not really interested in that, sir. Thank you very much. That's okay. God has an interesting way of capturing the hearts of even those kind of people. Trust me. 
So whatever it is, consider that question. Who is first? And maybe this is your prayer. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things were created by him and for him. That's you and me. We don't get that straight that he's first, nothing else fits in life. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what he did now that we've kind of completed who he is. And we'll continue this on. In the meantime, let's carry that with us today. Heavenly Father, Jesus is first, and he will always be first. And we're thankful that the first who became last loved us that much. And so, Lord, I pray that every heart in here, whether it's hearts that are recommitting to that or opening to that or considering that, would see you, Jesus, for who you are these things in Jesus' name.